Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September the 16th, 2019, and this is episode 2510 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, it's Monday, so it's time for a listener feedback show. i got a bunch of stuff for you today. Uh, during MeWe Monday chat, some stuff came up about homeopathy, and I'll probably piss the person off that brought it up. But this is a subject that comes up from time to time, and I'm going to give you today uh, the reason that homeopathy is bullshit. I'll also tell you why some things that actually work that are called homeopathy do actually work, but they're not actual homeopathy. And I'll tell you another reason actual homeopathy may work, even though it's bullshit. You may be angry at me right now, but I'm just going to give you the facts, and then if you still want to believe in something, I do not tell people what to believe. You can believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny as a full-grown man if you want to, and I will not tell you you're wrong. I just won't agree with you. That's that simple. Next up, a question on health insurance for the self-employed and entrepreneurs. Uh, a question on two op – actually, not a question, some more information. I talked about greenhouses. I'm going to be doing a show on greenhouses. And uh, I mentioned a, a, a fabric called Solar Wrap. Uh, that I really am impressed with, and uh, somebody on the blog commented to where I can get it without buying like $2,000 worth of it, uh, and it's from a company I really like called Johnny Selected Seeds. Uh, and another person wrote to me directly and uh, gave me a close uh, a source of something called Solar Rig Fabric, which uh, has other attributes going for it, and I really respect the person that gave me the information. Doesn't mean I'm going to choose it, but I'll definitely consider it given the source, so I will give you that information. I got a question on the justification of killing predators that are threatening, attacking, or killing livestock. I think it's a pretty easy case to make. Uh, taking back your tax dollars and getting something good done with them. A question, it's not really a question, but it's presented in a way that, that makes that question get spit out of it. Uh, converting cash to crypto, a question on how to do that. Well, it really isn't hard. I'll give you a couple ideas on that. Propagation of echinacea via division, based on a story I must have told several years ago, based on when it actually happened. Um, question on, is it worth it to hardwire data cable into your home, especially if you're, you're doing a new build? I mean, retrofitting data cable into a house, there could be some justification for it, but you'd have to know exactly why you're doing it. I, I think it's just not worth it with all the wireless technology we have today. But if, you're, you know, if your house is in sticks right now and the drywall ain't gone up yet, would it make sense to throw some RJ45s and some you know, Cat 6E or something in the walls? Uh, yes, and I'll tell you why I think so. Uh, I mentioned using zip-top uh, vacuum seal bags in a recent episode where you put the food in it, you vacuum seal it, and when you open it later on, you're not going to use everything so there's a zip-top that you you know, you've vacuum sealed on the other side of the zip-top so that that bag can continue to be resealed and used until all of the items are gone. A person asked me a question about where I get them. And, uh, well, <laughs> the person was from Sweden or Switzerland or somewhere in Europe like that. And, uh, well, Cabela's, I don't think you're going to get stuff from Cabela's there. So I had another solution for them. So I'll tell you about the bags I do use and a solution that I think actually when I was forced to think about it might be a better, more economical idea. 
Um, next, uh, there's a new study out. As you guys know, I'm big on the, the concept that fat isn't what's killing Americans. It's sugar and carbohydrates in general, and specifically high fructose. Corn syrup and fructose is a poison to your liver that's equally as bad as alcohol. There's a new study out, 42 European nations, that, that comes to the conclusion that it is carbs that are the primary cause of heart disease. And I'm going to talk a little bit about something called the Seven Countries Study and how there's a lot of lies in that study and how the lies have been oversold and therefore tried to now they're trying to make the Seven Countries Study, which was flawed from the get-go, justified because of the overhype of the lies. Yeah, really, that's a thing. There goes my granddaughter sounding off. With that, before we jump in all that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is ButcherBox. You know, I try to eat the highest quality meat that I can get my hands on. I do raise a lot of my own livestock, and I, I do buy stuff here from local people as well. But it's just, it's, it's not really sufficiently available to me to get everything that I really want. So when ButcherBox came on board as a sponsor, I was really happy. When they said, hey, man, we'll pay you in meat, I was even more happy, as you can imagine. And uh, I eat, you know, grass-fed meat all the time because it comes to my, my house in a box. Perfectly frozen, by the way, even when it's 100 degrees out, uh, thanks to the miracle of good insulation and dry ice. Check them out today, ButcherBox.com. If I'll accept payment and meat from these guys, you know you're going to be happy with the meat that you buy. And they do a discount for the MSB that more than pays for your membership by itself. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Backwoods Home is uh, the easiest thing I've ever been asked to endorse because I was a customer of Backwoods Home from 1993 all the way through 2007, before I even started the Survival Podcast, I remained a customer. It went away for about a year. They stopped printing it, and when they brought it back, I was happy to resubscribe. So if I've been subscribed to something since 1993, and we're sitting here in 2019, and the only time I wasn't a subscriber is during the interlude where there wasn't a publication to subscribe to, do you think that maybe I think that's a good idea that you subscribe to? So check it out, Backwoods Home Magazine. It is the journal of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, independence, and liberty. It's just awesome. Check them out today at BackwoodsHome.com. Uh, that brings us to our main topics today. So I want to start out with a quote of the day. I'm really enjoying doing these. Uh, this one comes from John Irving. John Irving is best known for a book called The World According to Garp. I never read it and know the basic premise of it. I don't have a lot of interest in reading it. Um, and I do think it's kind of funny that there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of autobiographical truth in the book and how it relates to his mom. You can look that up and find out if you want to know more. Uh, but people even that write the majority of things I don't find interesting may occasionally say something that I find incredibly insightful, such as the case with John Irving, who one time wrote, If you're lucky enough to find a way of life you love, you have to find the courage to live it. You notice what he's saying there, too, is not that everyone will find a way of life that they love. He doesn't say, go find a way of life that you're, you're, you love and then live it, right? Which I think is probably more what I would say, but I think there's some insight here. Um, not everybody figures out the way of life that they love. Sometimes because they don't try hard enough, sometimes because they don't, give themselves enough opportunity, sometimes because they believe the lies that, that, are, that are told by society that are designed to control us, and sometimes it just maybe maybe there is something to luck. But I think if you figure out that, that not just you like this thing, but you can live this way your whole life in happiness, I think you do have kind of an imperative to find whatever courage is necessary to live it. 
So if you know what you really want, and if you've tried the life that you think you want enough to know it's really the way you want to live for the rest of your life, don't you owe it to yourself, and honestly those you love, to be the best you can be by finding the courage to live it? John Irving thinks so, and while we may not agree on a lot of things, we definitely agree on that. And I don't know that we don't. Let me be clear. I don't know enough about the guy to know how much we agree or disagree on. I really don't. But I definitely agree with this quote of the day. So hopefully that gets us off to a good start. Now let's talk off, start off with homeopathy. Um, I find it interesting that when you hear somebody extol the virtues of homeopathy, they generally split almost 50-50 into people that have no idea what homeopathy is and people that do know what it is. And the people that do know what it is and still believe in it, um, I'm not going to insult them. I just find it, I find it kind of akin to believing in Santa Claus as a real person. Not as a spirit or an idea or a concept, but that there really is a dude that comes down your chimney and brings you shit. I mean, honest to God, that's how I look at it. Here's why. Homeopathy was created not in a, in a drugstore somewhere here in modern times, and it wasn't something practiced by a bunch of like folk medicine old women in the mountains. It was, it was developed by a guy named Samuel Henneman quite a long time ago, exactly when it doesn't even matter for what I want to get across to you today. But he determined a concept of like cures like, cures like. meaning if you had blisters on your skin, something that causes blisters would cause your body to heal the blisters, which may have some basis in fact. But obviously if you, if you put something that causes blisters on the blisters, you're going to get more blisters. If you have nausea and you take a significant quantity of something that causes nausea, you're going to get more nausea. So the way he determined what all these substances do, many of which are actually poison in high quantities, is he took enough of them to cause a reaction. Now, one of the places I agree with Hanneman is he said that we have no business giving a substance to a sick person unless we've given it to a healthy person first to see what it does to them. Okay, yeah, there's some truth there. Um, but So he would determine, for instance, that this particular substance caused this particular symptom, so it was a remedy for this particular symptom. But since we can't give him a bunch of it, what he did is took a specific amount of water and put it into a specific size test tube. And then take one drop of that substance, put it in that test tube, put a cork on it, and get a special, it has to be a special other pad, by the way. This is starting to sound a little hokey. Okay, then you make a certain number of impacts with that substance in that water on that pad to create its energetic signature into the water. At this point, there'd be so little of that substance that it would have no biochemical whatsoever reaction with a human being who consumed it at all. Okay, and But what you do then is you take a drop of this magic water and put it into now non-magic water, and you do this again. It's called succession. It's, it, it's continuous dilution. And the second time you do it, where the drop that was in the whole thing is now a drop of a drop, it's considered stronger. And then you take a drop into your next vial of water after you bang it on the magic freaking leather pad a certain number of times, and it becomes stronger. And the strongest homeopathic remedies are the ones that have had this done the most time. And literally by the second time you do this, if you ran a, a, a test... A scientific test to say, is there sulfur or arnica or whatever in this? Uh, they would not be able to detect any of it. Then we take that solution, put it on a little little pellet, a little sugar pellet or a little inert pellet, and people eat it, and they're going to get better from their disease because like cures like. Now, that's how homeopathy works. So when people tell me, like, well, I'm taking homeopathy pills with garlic, and no, you're not. 
right? Homeopathy believes in one thing at a time, done the way I just said, or it's not homeopathy, it's herbology. And a lot of herbal remedies are marketed as homeopathic because people believe this nonsense and it sells. So one reason you might get a positive result from a product called a homeopathic product is because it's actually an herbal product or something of a substance that is measurable that actually does have a positive result for what you're doing. An arnica ointment that somebody puts on their hand that's called homeopathic is not homeopathic because it's not made the way I just described. Now, the other reason it might work is because placebo is a real thing. Placebo effect is real. Placebo effect happens. Placebo effect has cured diseases that science has no understanding of and can't cure at all. So if you believe it and it works, it's a placebo effect. It's nonsense. It doesn't work. If you want to believe it, go back to believing it, but at least know what you believe in. And if you believe in what I just explained, you have no scientific explanation. And what I will finish with, there was a dude, I don't know if he's still alive, he was called the Amazing Randy. And from the 80s all through, and 70s and through the 90s, early 2000s, this guy had this million-dollar challenge. And it was open to all this stuff, from homeopathy to psychics that can tell you about your deceased relatives and uh, can bend a nail or with their mind or whatever. And this guy was a magician, and he was also, I don't know what the right word for it is now, but basically he could he did, was really good at interpreting people's emotions and reading people and things like that. There's a, word, a mentalist. He was a mentalist and a magician. And he said, you bring me anything. And here's a list of shit. And homeopathy was on the list. And you demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that it works, and I can't replicate it, showing that it's fake. And I will give you $1 million. And I think he had the million dollars bonded. Like, it was guaranteed that anybody that could do any of this shit would get their million dollars. And you know how many people got a million dollars? Zero. Zero. Absolute effing zero. So if the little old lady that, that went to your, 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 your course you met her at or something says, oh, these little pellets will heal you, she could have been a millionaire if she could have proved it. She can't prove it because she can't prove it because it doesn't work. It's bullshit. I'm sorry if you're mad at me, but I tell you the truth. I don't believe in bullshit, and I don't want you to either. Uh, let's go on to something that's a little bit different and maybe a little bit more useful. Uh, for everyone today as I'm stalling, yes, because I can't find my email folder. Okay, so next up, Matthew says, Has anyone cracked the nut on health care option for people who work for themselves? I have a typical J-O-B, but I also have secondary side hustle, and I've started a business. Even my other side hustles bringing in good money. They're far cry from bringing in enough where they could also cover the cost of health care benefit for family four that comes with my job. What do you do for health care, Matt? Well, those are really two different questions. How do you crack the nut that is the cost of Stop calling it healthcare, please. I'm not going to come down on you, Matt, but I want everybody in this audience to commit. Stop calling health insurance health care. It is not health care, it is health insurance. You don't call your car insurance car care, do you? Do you call your car insurance car care? Do you call your home insurance home care? No, you don't, do you? Do you call your liability insurance liability care? If you have a business and you have an insurance policy for your business, do you call it business care? You don't, you don't call it that, do you? 
So this is not really germane to his question other than to use the term. You have to stop playing their game. They have convinced you that health insurance is health care, and it's how they do all the bullshit that they do, and it's how they've convinced all of you. I say all of you. 90% of Americans now believe the government needs to fix health care, but they mean health insurance, and they actually are okay with the government taking over. Just like I said they would be. It's primed. It is coming. It is going to happen. A full government takeover of health care. And people will cheer it when it does. Even the ones that grumble and grice, well, they will take that public option as soon as it's available because of affordability, as we said here. So stop calling it health care. It's health insurance. Now, how do we crack that nut? Okay, so if you want conventional health insurance, and it's going to cost you $15,000 a year, you need to just right now accept the fact that your employer is paying you about $15,000 a year more than you're making. And so when you're building a secondary income stream that you want to transition to, if you want that kind of insurance, you need that kind of income to make the transition. There is no magic pill here. There is an option that may work for you that will drastically cut the cost. But they've broken this on purpose so that you will accept government option, whatever they want to call it, Medicare for all, whatever they want to call it. It's coming. Trump's probably going to do it in his second term, just like I said he would. Okay, I'm telling you right now, it's probably going to happen. Probably in the last two years of his second term, with the Democrats controlling the Senate and the House, and by then the impeachment word will be long gone because they'll know they're taking over everything in 2024. It's going to swing back. That's where we're headed. I know you don't like it. I'm the weatherman. I don't make the weather. Okay, uh, so that's and that's why we're headed there because it is so damn expensive. It should be called the Unaffordable Care Act, not the Affordable Care Act. Nothing that has happened since that law passed has made health care more affordable for anybody. It really hasn't. Um, so, how do we deal with this? Well, one is you make enough money. Two is you have a family of four. So, it is reasonable that a spouse might have a job or go find a job that provides health insurance while the other spouse transitions and builds up the revenue to where they can then pay it out of their business. And then your other option is that if you're healthy and you are a healthy weight as well, and so is your wife and so are your children, look at a health share program, like a Christian health share program or something like that, and you will save massive amounts of money. The thing is, they do not operate under the law, this is why they're affordable, that says what they have to do. They're not insurance, but they do meet the requirements as insurance legally, okay, for you to prove that you have a means of payment. You see what I'm saying? But they don't have to take you under with a previous existing condition. So instead of taking somebody they don't want and charging them more, they charge a flat rate based on criteria And if you don't meet the criteria, you don't get in. But, I mean, you might be able to cut your, your, your expense by $1,000 a month or more using a program like this, assuming you're not fat, your wife's not fat, your kids ain't fat, and nobody has a major problem. So that's your other option. Otherwise, you got to make enough money to pay the bill. There's no special insurance for you. Now, you do shop around and find the best deal you can get. Jacking up your deductible as high as you can do And setting up a health savings account is probably a good idea if it's available to you. And then one of the really important things that you have to understand when you're self-employed paying your own insurance is it's all tax deductible. So if you spend $10,000, $12,000 a year on health insurance, that comes right off of your income. 
where if it's paid to you through work some way, it's either simply not taxed or honestly a lot of these guys now that have these like they call them uh, Cadillac insurance programs they're fixing to start paying tax on that crap uh, in fact they are this year so a lot of the there goes the granddaughter flipping out let's pause for a minute okay we are back from that technical disruption anyway she she, she fell and hurt herself and she was very upset anyway uh, so Papa Powers kicked in and she feels better anyway back to it the the the, the reality is my single largest expense is health insurance. Not in my business, in my life. It's almost as much as my total mortgage, but I don't consider my mortgage a single expense. I have a mortgage, and then I have taxes, and then I have, um, I still have, en I don't have enough equity in my, my mortgage yet to get out of PMI under the terms of my original mortgage, which was so stupid cheap that I went ahead and accepted it. Um, so if I break down it that way, I don't have another expense in my life that is bigger than my health insurance for my wife and I. But being able to deduct 100% from the business and, and lower my tax bracket practically with it alone, it makes it a little easier to swallow. Now, on the health the, the uh, health share programs, hey, I'm doing this keto thing, and I'm like 15 pounds away from cutting my expense by down to a third of what it is today by being able to qualify for that. So there's some motivation there as well if you don't qualify right now. But I think they're the best deal in town. And definitely what you need to do if you're going to transition, and I don't care, this is for anybody, that's going to transition from um, a health insurance to a health share. Understanding health share kicks in for like, it's basically catastrophic. It's not going to pay for all your piddly shit and, 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 and regular doctor visits. Okay? So it's what, which, what health insurance used to have available, that's what this is. Um, but it's a little tighter than that was because the government's ruined everything. And so what you really need to do is set up an HSA. And I would say whatever you're paying for insurance, when you transfer over whatever you save, take at least 20% of the savings and put it in your HSA. Take at least 25% of the savings and add it to what you're saving long-term for retirement or just in a nest egg, and then take the balance and put it back into your budget. And, and you're still you know, getting 55% of the savings that way that you get to spend in your life. And so that's that's more general, broad advice. But those that's really all there is. But please stop calling health insurance health care. Because I pay for health insurance, and it doesn't provide any care whatsoever. It doesn't provide any care. For, for the limited amount of use that Doc, Dorothy and I have with the doctor, it doesn't pay for nothing. It's insurance in case I have a, a, a car wreck and need surgery. It's insurance in case I have a heart attack and need a bypass. It, it's not health care, and it, it hasn't been for a very long time. It doesn't contribute at all to my ongoing care. It only contributes to uh, preventing me from going bankrupt in the, in, the, in the case of some sort of catastrophic incident. So here's a couple resources. I'm going to go real quick on this segment because it doesn't warranty going long. Um, this comes in from Rob Kaiser, who I've had on the show before, and this guy has a beautiful high tunnel he's put in at his place, and he's done a lot of work with stuff like that, so he would know good material to use. And he says you can get a 20 foot by 40, 24 by 80 foot piece of this particular fabric uh, that is made by a company called, let me 
look this up real quick. Um, da, 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 da. Sorry about it. Uh, it's solar rig. Um, not, instead of solar wrap, it's solar rig fabric. It doesn't look like it has the 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 bubble in it and the 1.7 R factor insulation that solar um, the other stuff has. I'll get to in a second. But he's been using it with felt tape uh, and it has zero problems. The huge difference maker, something that seems worth sharing since solar rig is more expensive. However, if treated right, it will far outlast traditional poly and will stand up to the weather and snow loads. So uh, this stuff looks very well made. It's made in Israel, and they usually do make things really well there. Um, so I have a link for you where you can find the solar rig product uh, recommended by Rob. And I'm going to consider it for my stick-built greenhouse, even though it's really a product for um, high tunnels. And uh, that piece, a 24-by-80-foot piece, is going to do everything I need and probably give enough weight for somebody else to do something with it. So, Because um, yeah, I don't need anywhere near that much to do what I need done. Uh, then another person, and they didn't leave their real name, so I don't even have a fake name to give you, um, said, hey, the solar wrap product you want can be bought in, in five-foot segments at Johnny's Selected Seeds. And I'm going to actually contact them because while that's nice, If unless they have it inventoried in five-foot segments, uh, I would much rather have it in a long enough segment to go from the roof of my greenhouse down over the eave and down the front. And if I had three sheets of significant width of that length, it would be a breeze for me to install. So I'm going to see if they do that. But if you want like pieces to use, basically like panels that are flexible, which is what they're doing with five-foot sections, very inexpensive shipping because it doesn't weigh much and it folds up, unlike a rigid panel, Johnny's has the solar wrap, and you can actually just buy it without begging somebody to talk to you and, exp and, and try to sell you on other things. And I just, I just want this much of it. So I just wanted to let you know that, and if you're interested in it, Uh, both of those products do have links in today's show notes. Um, this is the next one I have here is an interesting one. It comes from Christopher. He says, I'm thinking and taking part of this, but I wanted your opinion. I found this article interesting, and while I feel taxes theft, it also is a step in the right direction. Getting away from perfectly groomed lawns and using Roundup is a win. While I hate the thought of using tax dollars, I think this could be beneficial, especially for someone like me who feels grass is a functional, retarded plant that just burns up money and time. It keeps my dirt from eroding away when it rains. That's all that it really does. Thanks, Chris in Minnesota. So Minnesota has a program, and I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to link to it so you can take a look at it if you want to. Uh, that basically provides tax incentives for residents to make their lawns bee-friendly instead of true green chem lawn-friendly. Let me tell you why I have absolutely no problem with this. Well, they're using tax dollars to do it. Well, they're using state and local tax dollars to do it, and they're doing it with people that are homeowners. All homeowners pay what? Property tax. So... This is not going out and giving some homeless person a cell phone with a thousand minutes a month under the name of doing good things for people by stealing somebody's money and giving it to someone who didn't work. Not that I don't think there might be some value in providing a program where, where homeless people can get a cell phone so they can get a job and maybe put their life together if there's requirements for that. I don't like it being done with tax dollars, but I'm not going to say no good could come from it. But it's theft. You took from somebody 
who did and gave to someone who didn't so the person that didn't would have something that the person you stole from now can't have and can't afford because you took their shit. That's not what this is. This is, I had a property owner, and I'm taking money from them every month, every year. I'm stealing from them, right? They steal thousands of dollars from me every year right now. So if I can be granted some portion of my tax dollars back, even if it doesn't work that way, even if it does not a, a credit against your property tax, or if they send you a check, I don't care. It's money in versus money out. And until such time that any taxpayer takes $1 over what they've paid for their entire life, they are not taking taxpayer money. They are recouping their own money. And as long as it doesn't come with conditions that you do not want to follow, do it. Because it's no different than me deducting my health insurance. No one makes me deduct my health insurance for my income tax. I, I, my accountant, maybe she, Mary is, I have a new account. I have, I've always talked about my account that's a tax uh, CPA and a tax attorney. Uh, he will still answer my questions or write me a letter, but he is, he is retired and he has turned me over to a gal named Mary. Mary looks like, if you ever saw the cartoon show uh, Incredibles, right? The lady that makes the costumes with the big glasses, that's my accountant now. Uh, she's like that, only a little bit more mean. Remember the no cape? You don't miss any deductions, man. I mean, that's so maybe she makes me, but you know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm not forced to take that deduction. Uh, she's such a genius that under the new Trump tax break, she was able to backfeed a whole bunch of my household expenses into my home office expense since I can't deduct my property tax anymore because it doesn't make sense to and get me a huge cut in my taxes. I'm not stealing taxpayer money. I'm getting my own money back. So now if the government was running a program and said, if you'll spray this poison on your lawn, because we're concerned about this certain bug, and I didn't want that poison on my lawn, I'm not going to spray that poison on my lawn to get the money. Because now I have to do what I don't want to do because I took their deal. If they say, hey, we want you to plant some clover and some borders and put in some trees that have flowers on them, and I want to do that anyway. And if I do that, they'll give me some of my money back. I'm doing it. I'm telling you right now, if this program was going to go on here, I'd be like, well, I've done a lot of that already. What else do you need me to do? Because I'll take my money back. So I see any, any program that returns tax dollars to the people that pay taxes, it, it's impossible for that to be an abuse of tax money. Because they should have never had that money in the first place. And if you're willing to do something with the money that you would do anyway, and, and all they've basically done is made it more affordable, then I'm okay with it. And I, I do include things like uh, incentives on solar panels. I think the overall idea is horrible. Because I think there's plenty of people that don't see it that way and they don't use it that way. But since it's there, if you look at the cost of solar, putting solar on your roof, let's say, and you really want to do it, I don't mean you're being pushed into it, like pushed over the edge. I mean, like, you really want to do it, and you do a budget on it, and the numbers don't work, and then you back in some sort of incentive that you local and federal government have, and now the numbers work, and you do it. I don't think that you've wasted tax dollars, assuming you pay taxes. You've extracted back your own money, and I mean all your taxes. And I don't care which government body takes it. I'm talking sales tax. I'm talking about fees on your vehicle. I'm talking about all the taxes you pay. 
until you get one dollar more than they stole from you. You haven't taken a dime of tax money. All you've done is take your damn money back. Just don't make a deal with the devil when you do that. It, they are the devil. Don't get me wrong. In fact, I might be giving the devil a bad rap by comparing government to the devil. The government may be far worse. But the government's deal is only a deal if you wouldn't behave the way they're asking you to anyway. Or if you find it objectionable to behave that way. I don't find it objectionable to spread some, some uh, Dutch and New Zealand and Crimson Clover in my yard. I find that to be a wonderful thing. And if I can sell my wife on it with a tax incentive and she's not all for it, I'm okay with that too. Let's take another one. Uh, next up, this one is from Ty. Ty says, how do you convert cash to crypto? I really enjoy the show on crypto and Vin Armani. Quick hypothetical for you. Say you had a side hustle that produces some fence post cashed. Can you think of some creative ways to turn that into crypto without depositing cash into the bank? Not asking for myself, of course. Just thought other listeners might have this problem. Thanks for your show. And this is actually from Charlie. So I don't know if I'm going Ty or Charlie, but... Ain't neither one got a last name with it, so I'll leave it at that. And uh, here, here's what I think, Charlie. The easiest way for you to do this is to offer the other person there in the conversation with the fence post. So anybody's not familiar with that phrase, I often say, it's, we have a saying here in Texas, and I think a lot of places, especially in rural America, have a saying, it's between you and me and the fence post, meaning it doesn't go any further than this conversation. So if I do some work for you and you pay me cash between me, you, and the fence post. So he doesn't mean he's actually putting fence posts in. In case anyone was confused. So there is the other person in that conversation. And let's say you are putting fence posts in, and you're going to put in the fence posts and put up the fencing for $1,000. Uh, you might say, how would you like to pay $900 instead of $1,000? Well, I, I would like that. Okay, well, if you'll pay me in Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum, any one of those three things, I'll do it for $900. That's probably worth doing at about a 10% discount if you price your work fair in the first place. Because by the time you deal with all the crap, you're going to wish you'd just done it that way. And you have anonymous money now. Because they just sent it to an address. So they can do that by just transferring money into a Coinbase account from a check from their bank. And pay by e-check. No problem. And then they can send you Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin to any address you give them. So the easiest way in your scenario in the fence post work is to have the third party that's with the fence post and you pay you in crypto. Now let's say they pay you in cash. Small amounts you can actually do. There are machines that you can go pay cash and have it sent somewhere, and it'd be really, really hard to track. But the reality is this is a limit to how much you can do with it. There are people that will meet and sell you crypto for cash, but some of that's gotten pretty shady and gotten into worlds where either people doing it, the buying part, get hurt, or end up in some part of a law enforcement sting because they think the only thing you do with crypto is buy drugs. And they try some way to find a case for money laundering or something. So I don't really advise that unless you have no other alternative. But I would say that if you're buying small amounts of crypto, just start out by playing the game the way that everybody else plays it and just buy it. It's not that big a deal. Um, keep it into small transactions. Maybe you have a couple different exchanges, what have you. But the biggest thing you need to do is understand that crypto is what Vin and I talked about. It's not just a buy-and-hold investment. I do think there's a case to be made for that to a degree, but what it really is is a, a way to store value where you can transfer it and the government can't get it away from you, and no one can get it away from you unless you're dumb and give up your private keys. And it is a way to do business without a third-party intermediary, i.e. the banks and the government. So 
You start however you start, but the biggest thing I would do is offer a discount in return for being paid in crypto. And let them do the paperwork, and then you just have the crypto. And then maybe you can buy some stuff with crypto, and then maybe you can start tying into the larger crypto economy. And then all of a sudden, maybe if you're doing more value creation than value purchase, your crypto number goes up. That's the real way to make the number go up. That's crazy talk, but it's true. Let's take another one. So David asked me here, uh, a while back you mentioned having some echinacea that you propagated from roots of plants you saw somewhere. What's the process for getting the roots? Is there a proper time of year to get roots or to plant roots? If I have to save roots until spring, how should I do that? Is it going to set back my friend's flowers? He saved me some seed, which is how he got his. But can I hedge my bets and get roots too? Uh, P.S. I see roots all the time in stores for at least a dollar root. Anyone except um, Brian looking for a side hustle, there is an idea. All right, so Brian's your buddy, I guess. So anybody wants a side hustle, echinacea. So I want to start out with something. There's a lot of echinacea available that's being propagated domestically now, and it's probably a good idea that we stick to that as best we can because echinacea has been over-harvested from the wild. Um So you really don't want to go out of your way to go out and harvest wild echinacea. What David is referring to that I did was kind of sort of probably that. I'm not sure. Because where this echinacea was growing, there was no good reason for it to be there. It was on the side of a road. In fact, the road I live on, about halfway to the end of that road, and there's like nobody's house or anything. There's just kind of like, you know, roadside. And I was driving by a couple years ago in the middle of summer, and it hadn't rained in a long time, and it was brutal hot. And it's on the side of the road, you know? So, I mean, this is about it, and the car's driving by, and the heat reflected off the And it, these plants looked beautiful. So I marked where they were and waited for them to go dormant, and I went back there and dug up and found the root crowns and took several of them and planted them. And the reason I decided to take those from the wild is because the fact that they were growing told me they were probably an incredibly hardy um, form uh, uh, genetic-wise, and I wanted an exact genetic replication of them. Um, now, how do you do it? You can really take the roots anytime the plant is dormant until it's just emerging, Okay. And the best way to do it if you're getting them from a friend who is willing to let you propagate from division is when you dig up a plant while it's dormant, or, or the best time is early spring when it's just starting to send new roots out and just starting to put shoots out. You'll be able to dig it up and it'll be like a clump, and you'll be able to pull it gently apart, pull the roots apart, and make two out of one. And you can replant the one, and it'll grow just like it did the year before, and the one you take will now grow a new plant. And honestly, if you have a lot of echinacea in a place that's easy to dig it up, this is the best thing you can do for your own plants is to dig them up and, and do division every year because you can only get so much self-propagation from it because they're, they're too close to each other. And by dividing, and some big plants can even divide maybe into three root sections and replanted. So what you could do to pay your friend, and I think I know which Brian you mean, by the way, if you want to be nice, is go over and help him do it. And if maybe he has ten roots that can be divided, maybe you take five and help him dig up and divide his own and put five of his own back. So he ends up going from ten to fifteen, and you get five as starter. Now, propagation from seed is actually very easy. Echinacea is very hardy to begin with, and you want to start echinacea 
um, early, like any other plant you start from seed, to get the most growth out of it in the first year. So it has enough of a root uh, reserve to make it through the first winter. So start it, you know, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks before your first frost in small containers. Grow it until it has a nice, well-started plant and set it out after danger first frost. And then as long as it gets some moisture and some decent fertility and nothing eats it or cuts it down or steps on it, it's going to grow and propagate for you. And by the second year, you'll be able to do division. Okay? Um, it's, it's that simple. I have an article at San Francisco Gate where they explain exactly how to do this for you in the show notes as well. Next up, Dan says, um, Hi, Jack. Would you put network cable with RJ45 jacks in the walls of a new home construction? We're building a home next year, and wireless technology is pretty good these days. It's even worth paying to put network cable in the walls. Given your background in telecommunications, I'm interested in your thoughts. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Dan, my answer is if you're building, yes, because it's stupid cheap to do. What I would do is determine the place in your house that you're going to locate your your router, right, and your cable modem or your DSL modem, depending on the internet, whatever internet you're bringing in. And at minimum, I would go ahead and run RJ45 uh, terminated cables. And I've been out of the thing so long, like Cat6 was new. So I know they have Cat6E now. They probably come up with some voodoo bullshit Cat99000 or some shit. Who the hell knows? Uh, but... A Cat 6 cable can run beyond the capabilities of anything you're ever going to need to run at home network. So Cat 6 or above cabling properly installed should be incredibly cheap. And I would run it from where your router is to every place that you're going to have a TV or expect to have a stationary computer in the house. And maybe one point somewhere toward the middle or far end or upstairs of the home so that you have the option then of putting in let's say a, a wired wireless repeater i know that sounds kind of crazy but all it is is a repeater that becomes a wireless access point but instead of it connecting wireless back to your router it's wired to your router and then you're wireless to the device and so at least one for that and you really The way things are today, I would highly consider running a jack, like if you're going to have a really nice back porch or something like that, running a, a cable to the outside wall there. And, well, now you need shielded cable and gel fill. No, you don't. Like if it's just going to surface mount on the outside and all the rest of the cable, it can be a regular damn cable. Make sure your installer puts a service loop in it. If something does go, all these jacks need service loops. If a person looks at you cross-eyed when you tell them to put a service loop in, get a new contractor. Um, and anybody that puts a 90-degree bend where a tight bend in a data cable needs to be smacked in the face, kicked in the ass, and thrown out and have to pay for what they've done financially as well as physically. So cables get run on sweeping bends, but if you have a service loop and something gets funky with the jack and the cable tips, you, it's, it, anybody can learn to terminate cables in like 15 minutes, right, on, on YouTube, if they're not smart, because you can really learn to do it in two, right? So you could put in a new jack if you had to. Just put a surface mount jack on the outside, wherever your porch is, where you might be out listening to music or something, because then you can put an access point there, And you're not trying to commute wireless through the walls. And here's a really good thing. People say, but if I do that, then somebody's going to come by with a Pringles can, and they're going to get on my network. Well, first of all, have a secure network, please. 
Second of all, you can set that repeater so all it does is give Internet access and doesn't give any access to the rest of your network if you want to. And third of all, you can unplug it whenever you're not using it. And that's what I would do. I mean, if I, I don't really want to run cables through my walls and crap now, and this house was built in the 70s. But if I was building this new and knew the way the house is going to end up the way it is in my outdoor kitchen, all, I'd have a, a, wire, a wired wireless repeater out there, okay? And, and whenever I was out there and needed to use it, I'd just plug it in, and whenever I wasn't using it, I'd just unplug it. Now, I use a wireless, wireless repeater uh, right now, and it works pretty good. But it gets slammed pretty hard when I have a big group here. You know, as long as a couple dozen people or less, it's it's pretty damn good. Um, but if I had a wa it would be just a better thing. And then, like, everybody does Netflix and streaming video and all now. If you have a wired connection, just overall, you're going to have less issues uh, with interruptions and stuff from time to time. I'd say that 99% of the time, our Netflix, our Amazon Prime, all that stuff runs flawlessly on wireless. But, you know, occasionally in my bedroom... I have problems because it's one more room over and it's at that edge, you know. So I would do it, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, you know, nuts with it. Uh, but I would also look at it if they say, well, we'll do one every room in the house for X, and X isn't a lot of money. It won't hurt anything, I promise you that. Uh, but I would never pay the, the the huge premium it would cost to retrofit into old construction. It's just not worth it. Uh, if anything, you might find that it, maybe there is one place you want one, and running a single cable, if you can, might be worth doing for that repeater or for a direct connection to something like an entertainment device. All right. With that, with that I'd still say most of the time wireless is going to be the better way to go with retrofit. So next up, Janine? Uh, Janie? Janie, I guess. Janie? Not sure how to say that name. Uh, it says, uh, I bet it might be Yanni, because this was the person from um, Sweden, I think. Let me read this to you. It says, what brand of vacuum seal bags with a zipper do you recommend? I heard about this type of vacuum bag on the podcast today, and they're unheard of in Sweden. It was Sweden. Thanks for the very practical invention. It sounds like a very practical invention. I found these on Amazon. You're the best. Yanni. Okay. Uh, so... Here is, oh, and he's a member since the bacon campaign and still eats his weekly ration. For those who remember the bacon sale of 2017, that was awesome. The bacon sale for Travis the vegan. Anyway, um, so I, I looked at the item on Amazon and it may be fine. And I'll put a link to that product in the show notes so you can see the one he re referenced. It's a bit expensive compared to the ones that I get from Cabela's. I have a link to those as well. So you can get them from Cabela's. I don't have any kind of affiliation with Cabela's. I don't make anything on it, but that's where I buy mine. And when I recommend an item on Amazon and say, I think you should buy this, it's always because I buy mine there too, right? If I get a better deal somewhere else, I don't sell it on Amazon and buy it somewhere else. I, I don't think that's integrity. So I, I said, unfortunately for him, I don't think you can buy from Cabela's in Sweden. Or, you know, the shipping is going to be kind of expensive. So this was my workaround for him, and I think it might actually be a better idea for a lot of you. Um, you get a good, high-quality zipper freezer bag, right? So like a Glad zip-top bag, something like that, uh, freezer-grade. I know what you're going to think, man. You can't, Jack, you can't vacuum seal that. It doesn't work. I tried. No, you can't, and you shouldn't, and that's not what I'm saying. But then you take your items, and you put it in that bag, and then you, you push as much air out of that bag as you can, and you seal it until there's just a very small opening 
in the plastic. No, this isn't the magic submerged water poor man's vacuum sealer, though you can do that if you want to. This is for real vacuum sealing. You fold over the excess of the bag, and you put the bag into a traditional vacuum seal bag with the fold side to the bottom and the top fold to the top. And then you vacuum seal as normal. And what's going to happen is your vacuum sealer will pull all the excess air out of that Ziploc bag. And effectively, you've double bagged, but you've left a small opening in the zipper. Okay? Now you have a double bagged, vacuum sealed package. And you freeze that. When you open it, you cut the top off your zip top, your, your vacuum seal bag. You pull out your zip top bag. And you use items out of the zip top bag, zip top, and just push air out, which you would be doing anyway with the special hybrid bag. Here's where I think you actually could say, like you say, well, that's two bags, but you know the zip ones are a little bit more expensive than the regular ones, and you can buy the rolls, and you make your own bag, and you only use what you need, and you really save money. Okay, but since you've double bagged, as long as the product that you put in the zip top bag was dry and or frozen so that it doesn't like have blood coming out of it or whatever. And I always pre-freeze my stuff. I put it on a baking tray and I freeze it till it's solid and then I vacuum seal and then you don't get leaks and you don't get blood and you don't get moisture getting in your seal. It's just unless you have like a real high-end cryovac, it's just the easier way to go. And you stop end up pulling it out, being pissed off, throwing it in another bag and redoing it. It, it just ends all that, right? So now what you have is a vacuum seal bag that you've only cut a little tiny piece off of that's clean. So you know what to do. You put it in a stack, and the next time you're freezing, you reuse it. And that way you may end up, and you can always wash those bags, by the way. But now this is really easy to do, and you might end up reusing that bag two or three times. As long as it holds, it's good. And it's never touching the food because it's inside a different bag. So I think for a lot of stuff, that might be the better way to go than the special bags uh, that I get from Cabela's. I might try it myself, but I haven't yet. So right now it's theory, not practice, but I can't see it not working. Anyway, Yanni, Jenny, whatever your name is, please excuse my inability to pronounce uh, a Swedish name. Thank you for the question, because I would have never come up with that secondary method had you not done so. Next, this comes in from Matt in Iowa. And he says, article title. Carbohydrates, not animal fat, linked to heart disease across 42 European countries. This article is a couple years old, but it sounds very, very familiar. It's from 2017, November of 2017. This is a legitimate study, and when they looked at correlation beyond one correlation, it's like, what is really going on here? It was very clear that the more carbohydrates consumed by a nation the more cardiovascular problems that nation had the end. This, wants, this makes me want to talk about something called the Seven Country Study, which was one of the most flawed studies ever done and used to sell a lie to the American people, put out by a guy named Ansel Keys. This guy was able to get to Dwight Eisenhower's doctor when Dwight had a heart attack right after he ate a hamburger. And he was able to convince Dwight's doctor and all of America, the American Heart Association, that carbohydrates uh, were not why we had any problems in America, but fat was. And the more fat you ate, the more problems you had. He did a study called the Seven Countries Study. Well, the Seven Countries Study started out as a 22 countries study. And what he did is he simply 
just decided he didn't really like the results he got, even though the results still somewhat supported his hypothesis. This is where the people that are reactionary to this go too far, and they give legitimacy to something that should be illegitimate. Okay, Because it's easy to disprove the claim that he just threw them out, and they had no bearing, and they would have ruined everything. The graph he made with seven countries still sort of kind of works with all 22 countries. The real damning of the seven-country study is inside the seven-country study itself. Ansel Keys specifically states, inside his own study, though he never talked about it when he presented the data to the general public or even other scientists, but he specifically states it was the combination of carbohydrates and fat. But then what he extrapolated from that, well, we'll just take the fat away and it'll go away, but never tested it. So it is an incredibly flawed study that has resulted in over 40 years of national policy that's killing people and giving people metabolic syndrome, diabetes, and I believe even contributing to things like Alzheimer's disease. And we now have type 2 diabetics who are under 12 years old, and that is an embarrassment. And doctors should be ashamed of themselves for not getting beyond their training. And this is something I said in my video that went on YouTube today about keto and, and what have you, and more on the keto challenge and everything. Doctors are not taught in this country, they're trained. And you might think that's di there's no difference, there's a ton of difference. When you teach somebody, you give them a base of knowledge that enables them to learn and extrapolate. When you train somebody, you condition them to perform a certain way and to do things a certain way. And there's, there's, there's really room for both when it comes to physicians. For instance, a surgeon, I want him trained on how to like remove my kidney if that's what he's doing. But I also want him taught so that he can improvise if the training is failing and save my life. And surgeons do that, to be fair. Our general practitioners and the doctors that are just mouthing off about a subject they know almost nothing about, nutrition, do not do that. They have been trained to just say these things and do these things and prescribe these medications. And I'm not making light of how much work it is to become one of them. But I'm telling you, the result of all that work is to be trained to not think beyond what you're told by authority. This study clearly shows that it's at least plausible that carbohydrates are a bigger problem than fats. And the thing about things like the seven country studies, it treated all fat the same. It treated poor quality fat the same as high quality. Just look at the total number, the original seven country study. And I'm not going to go on and preach about this. I do not want to turn TSP into the keto or low-carb hour. I don't want to do that. But I also believe that survival is why you tune into TSP. And dying breaks the rule of surviving every time. There's no time when dying doesn't break the first rule of survival. Not to die. And this is killing people. And the advice that we're being given is killing people. And the food that they're telling you is safe to eat is killing you. Fructose is a, is, a, is a hepatoxin, is a liver toxin. Sucrose, I'm sorry, fructose is as toxic to the liver as alcohol is. And it's, I know you think I'm crazy when I say that, but I challenge you to look up a video, and I'll put it in the show notes for you, called The Bitter Sugar, The Bitter Truth, presented by a doctor that explains exactly how the liver metabolizes uh, fructose And there is no way, once you understand what the liver has to do to process it, and then you also understand how the liver processes alcohol, either fructose is a toxin or alcohol isn't. 
So you tell me which one you think is more likely. Alcohol is not a toxin to your liver. Does that sound stupid? Well, if you understand how the liver processes alcohol and what makes it a toxin, then fructose is a toxin. You might say, well, you know what? I enjoy an old beverage or two, Jack. Sure, so do I. But I know it's a toxin, so I limit how many two really is. But when we look at fructose and we're feeding children high-sugar apple juice on WIC programs and causing an epidemic of type 2 diabetes in minors in this country when the damn condition didn't even exist 30 years ago and we want to continue to deny reality, it's just stupid. And if it was only stupid, I wouldn't care. But it's killing people. It's maiming people. It's destroying people's organs. It's costing people hands and feet. It's shortening people's lives, and it's taking away people's mental capacity. So I get a little bit pissed off about it when people lie about it. I invite you to, re to review this study for yourself and draw your own conclusions. I invite you to start looking at some of the document documentaries that I've brought up about sugar and its effect on the body. Not all of them are pro-ketosis diet. Some are just anti-sugar, and for good reason. Check out uh, the, the, the sugar documentary by the Fifth Estate out of Canada. You know, this isn't a, a, a PBS, like Canada, Canadian PBS television show. It's not some like you know crazy right-wing conspiracy against carbohydrates. If you look at the actual science, because this concept that fat causes obesity has no, and I repeat, just to be clear, no scientific basis whatsoever. It's based on what appears to be common sense. Well, if you're fat and you eat lots of fat, it must be the fat. You know, you can have all the fat-free donuts you want. You're still going to be fat. Just saying. So I wanted you guys to know about the study. I thank Matt for, for sending it to me. But I would just say, you know, one more call out for you guys on this when you resist this. What do you trust your government with? What do you trust government and the unholy cabal of government and industry with? I mean, this concept that you can have sugar as long as you count the carbohydrates and it's okay. I'm sorry, as long as you count the calories and it's okay and that it's not addictive and it doesn't lead to overeating and it's not killing our children and it's not causing diabetes. and it's not, Like, this concept is being put out to you by the medical industry, the food industry, and the government as a three-way team. Okay, What do you really trust government with? And if you're like, I don't trust government at all, then why do you trust them with this? Get the information for yourself and make your own decisions. That's all I can say. Um, that would actually be the scientific way to go about this. Saying it's science because I was taught this is not science. Saying it's science because I've read the, read the actual information and looked at the methodology used to gain the result. That's science. If you don't understand the methodology behind it, you might as well ignore the result until you do. Because until you understand the methodology, and I don't mean you have to understand it like a Ph.D. student. I just mean you have to be able to explain, well, this is what was done and why. And this makes sense because. And if you can't understand that, then the result means nothing. It, it might as well be that my mommy told me, so I believe it. And we have to be naturally skeptical of anything that government tells us. If we're not, well... I don't know. I don't get it. You guys don't trust government or anything else, but you trust them when they tell you what you want to hear. 
That's what you're really telling me. With that, let's wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like this show, you can help support us. And I'm running a sale this week for MSB. And that means you can support the MSB for less than you've ever been asked to support it for. Well, not less, but as low as it's ever been. $25 bucks for a year. $25 bucks for a year. And all you got to do to get that discount is use the discount code um, give me 25 and it's the numbers 2 and 5. Give me 25. It's not even on the blog yet, but that's the discount code. Give me 25 and sign up for a year and it applies to recurring. I was going to do something kind of different this time. I was going to do it 25 bucks for your first year and then regular price ongoing or 35 bucks recurring. And I decided, you know what? You haven't done a sale in a while, you, you cheap ass. Go ahead and give them a good sale. Do it, Jack. And I'm just going to do 25 bucks, and it applies to recurring membership. So you can become a member for $25 a year, and you get to keep that price for as long as you stay a member. Again, the discount code is GIVEME25, G-I-V-E-M-E-2-5. Sign up with that code, and it applies to new members, and it applies to people whose accounts have expired. I understand that you might think I'm being like AT&T. Well, Jack, I would renew early and I would get the new rate, but you won't do that because I'm an existing co I, I can't. My so I'm not AT&T, so I don't have their technical expertise, right? My software <clears throat> and the payment gateways don't work that way. And if you're not going to renew until, like, let's say right now, January, and I let you renew now, you're going to pay from now till January on the old rate plus the new rate, and they're going to get double billed. And then January is going to renew at the full price or whatever price you have. So I just can't. It's complicated. I can't do it. You can do it online, or you can do it by mail-in. You can do it with silver. Um, and if you do silver, we'll just give you more. You can do it with Bitcoin. You can do it with all the cryptocurrencies. I will give this price to anybody uh, paying by mail or anybody renewing an expired account or getting a new account online. That's the best I can do. The discount code, again, is GIVEME25. Uh, it probably won't go on the blog until later today, but that is available to anybody listening to this right now. Just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. And, guys, I'm telling you, I've got one benefit that's worth 50 bucks in the discount program for SafeCastle. Uh, if you do butcher boxes, $120 a year. On a $25 membership, you keep that rate for life. So... And I got another big announcement. Um, I've said this before, but it's going to get announced on the blog probably tomorrow. Um, our workshop this fall, November 6th to 10th, is the date. So you can go ahead and lock in the dates. Best airport to fly into, Dallas-Fort Worth. Second best airport, Dallas-Love Field. Dallas-Love Field is a much longer drive. Not a huge drive, but it's a longer drive than Dallas-Fort Worth. So Dallas-Fort Worth is the best airport you're going to be flying in. Uh, dates are the 6th. Of November through the, did I say 12th? 6th through the 10th. 6th through the 10th. That's the Wednesday through Sunday morning. Um, and details will be coming out about the workshop. It's probably the end of next week that I will start taking deposits. So it's probably going to be Friday next week that I will open it up for sale and only MSB is going to get in. Because I open it to everybody after MSB gets a crack at it. But it always sells out before I open up to everybody on these big events in the fall. So that's coming, too. Lastly, you can help support this show how? By doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. And I have a really cool product for you today. It's made by a company called Cable Matters. It's a six-outlet wall mount surge protector. I love this thing. 
So you don't have to have any real skill to, to put this, to install this thing. You can plug it right into a wall plate. The way you're supposed to install it, you take the wall plate off your electrical outlet. So that little screw that holds your wall plate on in the center. Then you plug this in, and then you put the screw back through this thing. So if you want it permanent. Uh, but it'll just plug in. It turns your dual outlet, you, know, you have two plugs into six with surge protection, and it gives you two USB ports. And the only complaint about this thing in the Amazon reviews is it's got a little clear piece of plexiglass on the top of it, and when you plug it in so that you know that the outlet's live, it lights up a little light. Well, at night, it's actually pretty bright. And it's not like illuminate a room bright, but it's light enough that like you don't stub your toe bright. I consider that a good thing. About the only time I would say it's not a good thing is I wouldn't want one in my bedroom because I like put tape over my receiver boxes and stuff so I don't get light. I want to sleep in the dark. But unless it's somewhere that you sleep, it's a good thing. Like in a bathroom, although I don't know that you need six outlets in a bathroom. You're probably doing something you shouldn't. But like in your living room, well, I have one in my living room. It's fantastic. Uh, I, I use it for like my charging stations for my phones and devices. You got two direct USB ports. It's awesome, and it's like sixteen bucks, and it works really good. It's actually seventeen bucks, sixteen ninety nine. Free shipping on Prime. Available at TSPAS, where you can always help us no matter what you buy, as long as you start at TSPAS.com. That brings us to our song of the day. Song of the day today. We're going to have a theme this week: Superman songs, songs about Superman or. Do you Superman in the title or the lyrics or whatever? This is one I've never heard before. It's by Crash Test Dummies. I guess I've heard a song or two from them. Not a big band for me. Uh, but it's called Superman Song. It's a really interesting song. And it compares Tarzan to Superman. And this is at Superman's funeral. Superman died. It's his eulogy. And what it points out is that Superman didn't just take what he wanted. And I think Tarzan in this, is it rhymes, right? And I don't think this is an anti-Tarzan song. I think this is talking about how most people behave in this world today like Tarzan. They take. Me, Tarzan. You, Jane. Right? They take. Superman didn't do anything but give. In fact, Superman held a menial job as a reporter for the newspaper to pay his bills. Superman could have said to himself, you know... I take care of humanity. If I rob one bank, it'll be covered by insurance. I'm set for life. And I can just be Superman. Superman could have said, hey, I've got a valuable skill here. I could provide it to you guys for a small fee. You know, not even a lot. Maybe you wouldn't have been greedy. You know, what's a basic salary for a professional? You know, depending on what era of Superman we're talking about. Let's say today's Superman. 100 grand a year and I'll be Superman. You know, it would have been all right. But Superman did a lowly job to pay his bills. And as Superman, he only gave. He didn't take. That's the point of the song. I think it's bigger than that, though. I don't think this is really an homage to a comic book hero. I think this is really about how we should see our lives. That we should be far more into giving and helping others than to taking And if we do that, we'll figure out to have, how to have what we need without taking for others. Not all the songs are going to be like that this week. We are going to talk about Superman. I might even call an audible because there's a Superman song that's not in here. He gave me like six and said pick five. I might cheat and add one and pick it myself. But Superman week kicking off with Superman's song from Crash 
test dummies. With that, been Jack Spearco, another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man. He just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that. Quick as a cat in the jungle. Clark Kent, no, there was a real gent. He would not be caught sitting around in no jungle scheme. Dumb as an ape doing nothing. Superman never made any money. Saving the world from Solomon Grundy. And sometimes I despair the world will never see another man like him. Hey, Bob, soon had a straight job. Even though he could have smashed through any bank in the United States, well, he had the strength, but he would not. Folks said his family were all dead. Planet crumbled, but Superman he forced himself to carry on. Get Krypton and keep going. Superman never made any money, saving the world from Solomon Grundy. And sometimes I despair the world will never see another man like him. Tarzan is king of the jungle and lord over all the apes, but he could hardly string together four words. I Tarzan, you Jane. Sometimes when soup was stopping crimes, I'll bet that he was tempted to just quit and turn his back on man. Join Tarzan in the forest. But he stayed in the city. Kept on changing clothes and dirty old phone booths till his work was through. Then nothing to do but go home. home. Superman never made any money. Saving the world from Sometimes I despair the world will never see another man like
Sometimes I just feel the world will never see another 